It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us on this lovely Sunday afternoon recording, doing this a little bit earlier than we usually do. I'm, I'm more awake. I got some coffee right next to me. <laughs> I'm excited for the show that we have lined up. I am, of course, your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is Stephen Gillespie, one of my co-hosts, as well as Maxwell Baumbach. Kevin is not with us today, but... It's a football Sunday. It's championship weekend. That's a big reason why we're doing this a little earlier. I think we all want to watch some football, enjoy some time with our respective friends and family. So, Stephen, how are you doing? Are you ready to dive in with some divisive prospect names, at least to start, to, to say the least? This might be the most like anticipated show for me, just because I haven't touched on the majority of these prospects here lately. So, I'm interested to share my thoughts. I'm interested to gauge yours. And I just want to say real quick to the both of you that I am so honored to be in the presence of, you know, some movie stars that are going to be featured <laughs> on, a, on a soon on a soon to be released project. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, boy. Steven is referring to Trice High's documentary that he's coming out with on YouTube entitled, I believe it's Limitless, the Victor mm-hmm. Wembenyama documentary yeah. that I was featured in for some interviews. Albert Gim was also featured for some interviews. And of course, Maxwell got in. So there's three of us No Ceilings members who are going to be featured in that documentary in different ways. And I'm very excited for everyone to be able to listen to that, hear that. Who knows? Maybe Trice is going to be joining us on a a podcast in the near future. Hmm. Who who knows? We'll be able to coordinate some good Mm -hmm. promotion. But Maxwell, what about you? You ready to dive into some players who I I think we we mention from time to time, Mm -hmm. obviously, because we do the the big board, the mock draft exercises. But these guys, we really haven't dove deep on them quite yet, especially one guard in particular who you're Mm -hmm. writing about, who you're really excited to talk about it and a little bit more dialogue. Yeah, this is a really fun group. And I think it's it's fun to kind of defeat for a little bit because we were doing like the the non-college guys and it was a ton of big names and then we did the mock draft and obviously we focused more on the top and like here we're getting kind of a nice blend of of some guys who look like they might be more second round some later first round guys who are working their way up i'm really excited for this one this is this is what we do at no ceilings is we we cover the whole thing cover the whole log of the draft so i'm excited for it this is what we do in no ceilings this is how we try and structure our shows on on draft deeper we can't just talk about the same top three top five guys week in and week out. We have to cover the entire scope of the draft because as we know, as scouts first, NBA teams are looking to make these types of second round picks and really hit on them, right? Like mm-hmm. no, nobody wants to be unaware of what's going on in, in second round territory. That's why we can't just cover the lottery guys. These guys who are being selected, you know, mid to late second round, they can pop up on a bench. They can end up making an impact in an NBA game or another contract. These are diamond in the rough territory type of guys. But even as you go later into the first round into like the early second round territory, not just talking about the, the sicko stuff that Steven and Maxwell love to get into, but really 
these types of picks, especially when a playoff team has the opportunity to make like a late first round pick and they're maybe operating with two to three max contract type of guys that don't have a lot of other salary cap to go around to, to be able to spend and, and go out and get some more mid-level type of guys. They really need to hit on some of these picks because if they can turn one of these late first, early seconds into a, a legitimate rotation player, an eighth, ninth man who can help them continue to win games, maybe fill in during a regular season night take over some of the action, fill a role. That's incredible value that an NBA team can stumble upon. So it's why you you hear you hear behind the scenes, these NBA teams, they love to do homework on those guys as much as they do the, the lottery guys, depending on the position that they're in. So with a guy like Amani Bates out of cool. Eastern Michigan, who's the first name we're going to talk about, he falls right into that scope. So there was a tweet that went out this week that basically stated, I think it was a hoops hype tweet, that behind the scenes talking to some NBA folk, his range is like 20 to 45. And that's that, coming from his camp stating that. Yes. That's not like an yeah. analyst or a scout or anybody else. That's someone from Imani Bates' camp saying that based on conversations that they've been having that he's yep. believed to be in that. Well, they said with like 20 teams too, which to me, like, I don't know. I'm not like, I always say like, I'm not like Mr. Connections over here. Like I'm not sure. a guy who's like, Oh yeah, I was on the phone with eight teams. <laughs> like that's not, that's not my bag. Um, But like from what I do understand about how teams do make boards, I feel like teams boards are a lot different than like the boards that we make. And they have a lot more Intel and they're looking for Absolutely. more specific things that like the thing to me that kind of stank about that is like really all like 20 teams have him in that range, like two thirds of the league. Like I, I feel like outside of that, like in that range, 25 to 40, the amount of guys that would be in that range among two thirds of the league is probably kind of low. So mm. I'm, I'm a little skeptical about that, but I do like Amani still as a prospect. Obviously wrote about him earlier in the year, had a huge game this past week. Uh, so I'm still interested, but I was a little leery of that, of that report. Oh, I'm always skeptical about public intel, right? Mm -hmm. That that information seems to be drastically different between what what's obviously out there for public consumption and what the three of us could could gather from talking with agents, talking with different scouts, talking with people around the NBA. Which no, we we don't have the the massive rolodex of Adrian Wojnarowski, but I think we all talk to some good people from from time to time, and we get some good intel. We get a general idea yeah. of where certain guys can fall in in the landscape of the draft. So when you hear Imani Bates being in that 20 to 45 range. That, that's a 25 pick range. That that is that is massive. But I feel like it's for good reason because there are so many different ways the Imani Bates story can still continue to go, mm -hmm. despite what we've already seen, how his career went from being in Memphis last year and that sort of being it, its own type of roller coaster. Then we have everything that happened with him in the offseason, which I don't really feel a need to get into all of that if everybody wants to read more about that. They can gladly do so on the internet. But then we get to when he's actually been on campus playing games at Eastern Michigan. And even this season has been a roller coaster, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you can point to the other night, which is really what sparked a lot of the discourse. And it's a big reason for sure why we wanted to have this conversation on the podcast. 43 yep. points on ridiculous shooting efficiency across yeah, 65%, the board. Yeah. 65% from the field massive massive game to help boost up his draft stock and really put him back into some of those conversations but then you you go to some other games and he's like two for ten from the field or like two of 15 or like four however you want to go in terms of the shooting splits he's just so up and down 
with the production that he's putting out there and consistency. Of course, I know Steven wants to chime in. We, we have this conversation on this podcast about consistency, right? What are you going to get yep. from a prospect on a night-to-night basis, especially when the ball is in your hands, you're a featured guy. Are you going to carry the team, or are you liable to, to wane from, from night to night, depending on the type of production you're going to give? And, and roller coaster, Steven, it, it's the best way to possibly describe what Imani's gone through before we get into more of his game. Yeah, and I mean, you you talked about the 43-point performance against Toledo, which, you know, a lot of upheaval in their roster just from last season to this year. But you look at their very next game against Miami of Ohio, and he had 17 points on 27% shooting, right? So you you see a lot of waxing and waning. And some of the – but here's the thing. If you look at, like, a lot of the advanced metrics on his offense, he grades out very well in a lot of areas, like shot types, play types, things like that. I mean, in the dribble on the uh, dribble jumper, he's 71st percentile, 90th percentile on early jumpers, 74th percentile when he's guarded, 95th percentile when he's unguarded, right? So you look at all those things and it screams like offensive dynamo, but then watching the film and stuff, it's like, is this, is what he's doing going to be something that an NBA team looks for? And how much of how we're perceiving that this year was our preconceived notions of how like transferring away from Memphis coming to a place where obviously everything's going to be given to him to be able to do anything that he wants. Like there's just so many strings to pull with his scenario right now. It makes the evaluation that much more difficult. There are. And as Maxwell pointed out in a piece that he wrote earlier on in the season for no ceilings, maybe his pathway isn't that of a starting wing in the NBA. Maybe he has a little bit different of a pathway to that, that he could travel down to where he's still contributing at a high level. He's still playing his, his lion's share of minutes, but it, it's in a different capacity. It's in a different role compared to being the, the quote-unquote starter on the wing, whether it's at that two or that three spot. Maxwell, why don't you talk a little bit about where, where you started at with your Imani Bates deep dive earlier on in the mm-hmm. year, and then maybe that can transition us into – what have we seen lately and how is how has the dialogue started to change online? Yeah, I think I think more people are buying in just because now we've seen him do what he's been doing for longer. I think mm-hmm. people are a little bit more convinced other than like, okay, he he had the hot game against Michigan, but then what? Like, was he gonna stay out of trouble? Is he gonna play the whole season? Is he gonna keep having these good games? Like these are questions that people had, and, and he's done it. Um so back, yeah, so back toward the beginning of the year when I wrote about him, um, I like the concept that I've been calling it. I think I called it that in the article is like the new age bench scorer. Like mm-hmm. I think that what we've seen with the NBA in general is it's not necessarily getting like bigger across the board because like we're seeing like smaller centers, but like four through one through four is getting bigger. Like those positions in general, you're trying to get as much size and length without as a possible. Doubt. Yep. So I think the idea of like, um, like a, a Lou Williams type player or like what people envisioned Jimmer Fredette could be. Like I like wouldn't be like when he's Jordan Clarkson. Exactly. Yeah. Like the idea of just like this small guard who comes in and gets you buckets is I don't want to say going away, because I think those guys are always gonna exist if they're that talented. But I think you're gonna start to see more of that archetype just being bigger dudes. Because even if they are poor defenders, which uh, we're gonna get to Monty Bates in a second, don't worry, folks. Uh, even if they are poor <laughs> defenders, even just having that extra length can do sure. some favors for you. So I think that is a, an archetype that we're going to start to see more of is this new age bench scorer, a bench scorer who has size, um, but basically comes in at an access microwave, 
and on games where they're not playing that well, you don't see him as much. And when they're hot, you just let them roll. Um, I think that's what Imani Bates kind of has to hope to be. Um, it's, it's so tricky with him because he really like hasn't played traditional, real organized basketball very much. Uh, however you want to feel about the situation with, you know, having a, a prep school built around him and playing for an AAU team led by his dad. He hasn't really been in very structured environments for the most part. It, so it shows that, in the game. That absolutely oh, 100%. And I think there are arguments that could be made that like, oh, well, when he has that structure for a prolonged period of time or when he's in a pro situation, maybe he adapts to that and then maybe he becomes a better defender. But he does have some very real limitations besides just like motor attentiveness. Um, Tyler Metcalf made a, made a, a funny observation in, in the no settings group chat about how he does just kind of stand and point around and be like, Hey, you rotate over there. <laughs> like there's a lot of that defensively. Um, and I just to, to go into the habits a little bit. Yeah. He'll, he'll like really freeze sometimes where they'll be like rotational or scramble settings and he will just kind of stand there. He doesn't get around screens very well because he's so thin. So if he gets yeah. clipped, he's just kind of out of the play and that's it. He doesn't recover. He doesn't work to get around them. Uh, even on the ball, he doesn't put up a ton of effort. Just kind of let guys, let's guys go by him. Sometimes he doesn't box anybody out. Really, he's easy to move inside the paint. Those are all real problems outside of that are just like largely attentiveness and like um, just paying attention and and getting bigger, which I think he's mm-hmm. going to do. I think I believe everybody is going to get bigger. What concerns me are that he still has some very real physical limitations. Amani is not a great athlete, and he has a negative wingspan. So just like based on those two factors alone, you're already kind of capping his defense more than you would a traditional prospect. That's his size. I didn't expect Maxwell to fully dive into some of the weaknesses, but that's certainly where we can start. And then we can yeah. circle back mm-hmm. to what are a lot of the positives that still lifts up Amani's case as a potential first round prospect. So mm-hmm. Maxwell touched on the defense. So I specifically wrote down, he does have a ways to go defensively. If he's going to make an oh, impact. Yeah. He gets caught ball watching. He doesn't play his angles well, man to man. The recovery effort wanes. He lacks the strength that Maxwell was talking about. The guard bigger matchup. So if he doesn't improve his stance, the angles he's defending at, his recovery effort defending at the point of attack, what is his role on that end? Because he's not, and then this comes back to the negative wingspan that Maxwell brought up. He's not a playmaker defensively either, right? His steal and block rates are, are really low compared to where you would want them to be for a player at his size, at, at his position. So defensively he's not going to earn a starting spot based on that part on the floor. So then you go back to the offense. Okay. Well, if he could be a starting caliber player, what is he going to bring to the table offensively besides just nuclear shot making, which could certainly be found on a bench role, which is what Maxwell's talking about. These guys like a Lou Williams, like a Jordan Clarkson's like an absolute upside case. And in my opinion, where if he hits on all cylinders, he could be that type of score. And that's a valuable player. The teams want to have on a controlled contract. That's all great, but to me, there's two things that he's lacking to really live up to that type of ceiling or have more equity as a starter. Number one, his processing speed, how he actually processes the game, it it is very far behind, and you really see that with the passing vision, or should I say lack thereof passing vision, right? If if he's not hitting the roll man or, or if he's not hitting the screener on the roll or the quick pop, or he's not just making that next pass over the, the next one man over on the wing. 
he's not breaking down the defense or seeing past other levels of the defense to where he he looks for the skip pass. He looks for the corner kick out. He looks for all of these different ways that he can continue to move the ball past just that really easy one-man read. He doesn't have that type of vision. He's not seeing the game at that other level. The second thing is a positive in his case is he has controlled his turnovers better than he was last year in Memphis. So up to this point in the season, he's played 200 plus more minutes than he did in Memphis last year. He only has five more turnovers in that time span. So that, that has been a positive for him, but the turnovers become a negative because the majority of them are live ball turnovers and they're because of his handle. He has a poor handle. Let's just call it for what it is. He, he dribbles far too away from himself too more often than not. He dribbles high he just doesn't have great control over the ball when it's in his hands, when he's looking to make one of those quick moves. Maxwell pointed out he, he's not a great athlete. You're right. He's not the bursty, the zippiest kind of guy. I think he tries to be a little overreactionary when it comes to making that first step at the top of the defense. And then when he does that, because of how he's processing and reading the game and seeing the floor, he's probably not making the best decision with that first and foremost. He's doing it to try and catch his defender off guard, which is fine. A lot of guys try to do that, but then he doesn't have the handle to adequately control the ball after he makes that move. And that second, that help defender can just come over and poke that ball free from him. Like, like, like easy pickings, like cookies go on transition, finish the other end of the floor. That that's a problem. So if he's going to be, a guy who is looked at as a secondary or tertiary creator, you have to be able to work off a dribble handoff, come off screen, pick and roll. You have to be able to see those next levels of the defense, make those passes and have control to get yourself in the positions to do more than just spot up and take a three point shot. Now he's, he's really good at spotting up. He's really good at catch and shoot. You can run him off movement. You can do so many different things with him offensively from a pure, I'm going to shoot the ball immediately as soon as I get it. But Steven, you break out these other parts of his game, these more advanced portions of his offensive game, they just aren't there. And I'm I'm not sure if it's going to get exponentially better as he gets to the NBA. If anything, he might run into some bigger walls, aka better defenders, more athletic defenders in front of him, and he can just continue to revert back to these these nasty old habits that he he we saw more of in Memphis, right? When he had to have the ball in his hands at Memphis. They looked to him to yep. be this bigger type of initiator. He just couldn't do it. And it showed. And that's, that, that was a big reason why the, the, the Memphis experiment didn't go the mm -hmm. way that it was planned. It's why he's had to be this different type of player at Eastern Michigan. I think Maxwell wanted to actually. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It. I just want to butt in real quick. Like in hindsight, how funny is it that Penny was like, he's going to play point guard. Like just knowing, just knowing what we know now. That that dude came on campus and Penny Hardaway is like, this is my point guard. Like that is just unbelievable. Playing point guard in the NBA, like yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> but go go ahead, Steve. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts on on what he does, what he doesn't do, and kind of like where where you're sitting at with his draft stock right now? Because it's it's it, it's murky to to say the least. Like I I can it, hear somebody it, say they want to take him with the fifteenth overall pick. I wouldn't think it's crazy. I could hear somebody say they want to take with the 40th to 45th pick. And it's not necessarily crazy either. There are so many different factors outside of what we're seeing on the basketball court that could play into it. But what are just some of your, your, your basketball on court thoughts with how his game has progressed? Well, just real quick, like even before the report came out, like I had him 42nd in my last, you know, big board ranking. And a lot of it is just based on the fact that like you have a guy who was once proclaimed to be the top player 
in his class and now you're you're getting him as a second round pick like that's very low risk very high reward right so um i think that the range that was being put out the other day could be very real um with that being said i think the evaluation is different depending on what part of that range you're looking at him at right like if he's a if he's a top 20 pick then you have to scrutinize a heck of a lot more because you're really looking at him adding value immediately. Whereas if you are looking at him in that, you know, mid to late second round range, she's like, okay, we'll, we'll give this guy, we'll take a flyer on him and we'll see what he's good at. I think regardless, a lot of what he's doing right now at Eastern Michigan, isn't what's going to be asked of him at the next level. Like just from what we saw at Memphis, from what we're seeing now, his on-ball usage, I think, is going to be really mitigated. And I think, one, the defense is really troubling because if you're not – if he's drafted from where he was supposed to be last season, right, then you can live with some of the defensive liabilities. You know, there are top players in this year's draft class that are really good offensively, and you just kind of hope that the defense is going to come along, right? you don't get afforded that same opportunity later on in the draft. Like you have to play good defense to see the floor when he is on the floor. I do think that it speaks. It, it's, it's a good indicator that he can score in a variety of ways, right? Like mm-hmm. when he does get on the floor, I think that that's going to help him out a lot. He's just going to be asked to do it in a different way than what he's been asked to at any point of his career right now. It's going to be very much more of like that connective tissue piece the film of him acting in that role is slim to none. So you're kind of having to say, okay, based on everything I'm looking at right now, if you scale it down, then sure. Like if a guy can shoot a logo three-point shot, then hopefully he'll be able to park in the corner, catch the ball and and feed it. (laughs) Based on the ball handling ability that we've seen, if he's chased on the line, can he take a dribble, find the open, that next pass, that next man over? Nathan, that you were talking about being very basic sometimes, the guys that are going to be put into role player positions, all they have to do is make the basic read. Right. Yep. And then can he, can he float the ball? Can he, you know, can he reposition himself to on, on the, on the catch off there, the first action is shut on him. So if you're looking at him to check role player type vibes, I think that he can do that. Like, and that's, and I kind of have him in that role player range. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, what are NBA teams really expecting of this guy? Like, how are we evaluating him right now based on like how we should be? Are we doing that in the correct way? Because Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us are looking at his star role that was projected on him and the star role that Memphis and now Eastern Michigan are putting on him. And we're really, um, being wet blankets with him in that aspect, right? <laughs> but if we're look if if we're looking at him as a role player in the NBA, are we sure that this dude at this height with his skill set can't succeed as like a floor spacer? That's, that's really what I'm that's the question for me. Yeah. And I, I think the big thing with Imani too is like the context and the narratives are so big. Like the, the yes. narratives around him are so massive and like the context is so bizarre. But at the end of the day, like if you just like simplify and look at the fact, like he is the age of college freshman. Yep. He is mm-hmm. six foot nine. He is scoring yep. 20.4 points per game and he's doing it on efficient shooting splits. How many guys can shoot like that, he can from and, range off the dribble, like 30 foot pull-ups and look like absolute ease. Knocking yeah. them down. How many guys can do that? 
And I, and I want to give him this too. Like we've been hard on the handle and I think that's fair, but I think his footwork has actually been quite improved this year. Like he's found ways to get himself enough space. It's not um, all-star level that he was no, 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 said no. to be, yeah. but it's sufficient for it's, a, it's okay. a role. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it helps it, that he's six foot nine. It can shoot mm. over a lot of other guys too, right? Like a yeah, lot of these which, guys in his conference that are guarding him sit between like six, mm-hmm. three to, to six, six, and he's six, nine. So while he doesn't have that, that plus wingspan, he has anywhere from three to five to six inches over these guys where he already has a high enough release on his jumper as it is. He can get his shot off on virtually anyone he's being guarded by in college basketball right now in the conference he's playing in. But the issue with that, when he goes up to the next level, he's going to be consistently playing against guys that are six, seven, six, nine, six, ten, with real length, with real athleticism. They will be able to shut off his drives. You, you, you make a good point about footwork, Maxwell, but I think those defenders at the NBA will be able to key in on some of his patterns and take mm-hmm. some of that stuff away from him. So when he has to settle for shots or when he has to give up the ball, if they try to trap him on a double, how does he react in some of these situations? And when he's in those spots, even from what we've seen in college basketball, the answer has been to Steven's point, he hasn't been able to, to react well. It's We haven't seen it, a lot of it, but when he is in those tougher spots, he hasn't been able to adapt to what the defense has done. And that, that that's a big concern if you're going to take him with like a top 20, top 25 pick. Yeah. And I, I think that's where like this second round aspect of it is like Absolutely. very appealing to me, where it's just like, you're just taking a flyer on a guy, yep. you know, can give you raw production as a scorer, has some upside. And maybe you talk yourself into like, the basketball context he's played in is weird and maybe you can get him to buy and get better at this other stuff. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at too, right? Like overall, I, I get the appeal of taking a six, nine shot creator in the first round, given what he can do as a flamethrower, how hot he can get, he can put up 40 points at the drop of a hat, but given, you know, prior baggage, the, the lack of high level feel, the poor defensive outlook, the handle concerns, I'd feel much better about taking a swing on him in the second round at this moment the, the, the door that I'll leave a crack open, though, guys, and I'm curious how you guys both feel about this, depending on how the rest of the class shakes out in the 20 to 30 range, that's when you could talk me into taking him higher, depending on if, if, the, if the draft really warrants making that type of pick on him, right? Like, let's say we're not in love with anybody in the 20 to 30 range, but we want to take an upside swing with one of those picks, and, and that's kind of how we want to rank appropriately on our board. I'm not going to put somebody over Imani and and push him down the board if I don't think that player absolutely warrants it. Because if I can get a guy who I'm confident in being a sixth, seventh, eighth man, but given what he can do from a scoring standpoint at his size, with still room to grow because of his age, I might be mm-hmm. more inclined to take that swing despite some of the other stuff. What, what what do you think about the way that range, the back end of the first, could could work itself out, Stephen? So first off, I would just want to say that like it's impossible for me not to be in love with prospects 20 through 30 because I love my 127th ranked prospects. So that's just the way that I am as an evaluator. But I've been saying this whole time, man, like once you get past 22, the door is open for essentially anybody within like my top, you know, 70 to 80 range. Like I would not rule it out because I think that once you get to about like that kind of 40 to to 80 range like the the margin is razor thin like there are players that i just i flop on all the time imani could certainly rise up there and then we also need to keep this in consideration too nathan is that there are teams with 
two, three first round picks that are going to be picking in that late first round range. Like, yep. do you want to like a, a, a Utah jazz or a team like that? Like, do you want to just take a flyer on a guy when your timeline is very forgiving if you don't get that pick correct? Or if you're Memphis or Indiana and you're picking late in Indiana's case, they got multiple first round picks. Do you not just take a guy that you're not worried about having to come in and fulfill a role right away? So yeah, absolutely. There, there, there are cases where I don't, necessarily love Kalel Ware, but I could understand in similar situations like a, a team taking him. I certainly could see a case where Monty Bates could be taken late first, and I, I wouldn't be too harsh on a team, although that personally might not be something that I would do. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that's a I think that's a great place to leave this conversation about Imani. There's still more games to be played in college. There's still everything that we can talk about leading up to the actual draft. It will be really interesting to see how his case continues to work itself out. Okay. So we discussed the top prospect that, that we wanted to evaluate on this podcast episode, the, the leading guy. Now let's talk about the other lead prospect that we want to get into before we dive into more of what Steven and Max are going to be writing this week, respectively for no ceilings NBA. The other name that we've wanted to discuss as a trio for a while. We just haven't been able to get all three of us on a podcast together to do it. And this leads into some of the Big 12 SEC showdown coverage that we wanted to provide this week on a a Monday morning. Grady Dick out of Kansas Mm. has had a phenomenal freshman season in in multiple different respects. Now, he didn't have the, the greatest of games yesterday against Kentucky, but I think he still showed some things within that game based on little pieces of the film that you can break out. And then overall, the the large sample size on this year has been incredibly encouraging for the 6'8 wing. I wrote down a very, very good prospect given where today's NBA sits, right? Legit size on the wing at 6'8". He's a knockdown three-point shooter. He can cut. He can finish line drives. He's good in transition. And he holds his own defensively due to his size and strength combo, right? He's an incredibly tough player. He has no problem mixing it up on both ends. And it's it's really funny when, when the, he has somebody who tries to go and drive into his body, and he just puts two hands up, and he can withstand that contact, and he just kind of gives that shit back to him, right? It's it's really funny to watch. Like you, you think he's going to fold over and, and be this guy who you can easily finish through. No, he's a lot stronger than he looks, and that's been a big selling point for me. That plays into how he can finish on offense and how he can defend on the other end that plays a big part into me projecting him more as a lottery level talent and maybe scratching the surface of the top 10 on a board compared to him maybe being in the back end of like a top 20 ranking, for example, right? That really plays into it. So I I think he has a good blend of skills for the modern NBA. Maxwell, I'll come to you first. What are some of the things you've really picked up with regarding Grady Dick? Because I think you, you texted us, Earlier yesterday, you you kind of said that there is a legitimate pathway to him being a top 10 guy on your board. What what does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So I think with Grady Dick, the biggest things, there's like there's like the obvious stuff, right? Like Grady Dick, 6'8", knockdown shooter, lights out guy, can hit off movement, can hit off the dribble, the, the whole nine. Um, he's done a good job chase off the line as well. Like he's not a terrible two-point shooter. He can finish at the rim. He's a better um, mid-range shooter than I think he gets credit for. And that's something that I didn't even realize. Like that's one of the areas 
you watch his game and you think there there's certainly multiple ways that he needs to continue developing that part of his game to really reach mm-hmm. a higher end outcome. But just as a pull up shooter in the mid range, the numbers per synergy are, are much better in that area than I would have expected. Yeah. And I think like the entire chase off the line game is better than I expected. Like he's, yes. He's at, so he like rakes out his average at the rim. I think a lot of that's his body still. Like I, I mentioned it a million times when I saw him at the McDonald's all American game, he looked the most like a kid of anybody on the floor. He's very thin still. He's got to get bigger. Um, and I think when he does, the finishing is going to get better because he really gets up off the ground. Well, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's any questioning his touch. Like, I think everybody knows that Creedy Dick has touch. Um, I I'm just kind of surprised that he's been as good as he is off the dribble in terms of his playmaking as well. Um, I like, we talked about it on our preseason pod. We did like a, who do you trust more chase off line him or Caleb Houston thing. And my answer then was Caleb Houston. Cause I thought Grady Dick was like pretty bad as a decision maker in high school. He'd get stuck a lot. He, he had didn't have much in the way of counters. Um, he would pick up his dribble for no reason. And in the mid range and crowded areas of the court, like there was all this stuff about his game that just did not sit well with me. And he's really grown tremendously as a decision maker while scaling up in competition. He sees the floor. Well, he's ready to pass. He knows where defenders are coming Mm -hmm. from and he knows how to react to them. Um, So just in terms of his playmaking, that's been more advanced than I expected. And then defensively, I didn't, I, he was always like a good athlete. So he was okay on that end. Um, But he's playing with a real toughness that I didn't anticipate where like, if it, it's we talked about it with chat last year, right? Where, where if you're thin, we want to at least see you fight. We want to see that toughness. He out of fights. You. He's not he chat. Wins more often than not, though. It's just that's like the crazy yeah. Thing. Yeah, he's feisty, and his recognition is really good. He had that big block a couple of games ago where he just quick saw a player at the basket and just sprung right in there, swatted a shot off the backboard. Um, he's not like a big time black guy, but given how he gets up and how he recognizes things, I do wonder if there's going to be some weak side or in protection in there in general. And he just has a good nose for like lazy passing lane slot. That was not a like question that. coming into the year either. Like yeah. no way you were thinking about like, at least entertaining it, right? Like I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're not like proclaiming that he is going to be that, but that wasn't even it's a thought in your head. Yeah. 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 So I, I just think like when you're breaking it down and it's like, I've got this guy who's a knockdown shooter. I feel pretty good about the defense and where it's headed. I trust him as a decision maker chase off the line. He's six foot eight. Isn't that what everybody wants? Like, isn't that what every NBA team wants? Like I get it. If, if you're upset that he's not a lockdown guy, or if there's other prospects that you like more, but at a certain point, it just feels like we should really be valuing what Grady Dick does, especially considering like, I do think he's a good athlete. And, and, and that's the thing, Stephen, that I come back to is his vision, right, on both ends, as Maxwell was talking about. But even defensively, I think he's going to grow into a good enough team defender because as a one-on-one guy, he's a little too upright. I think that's just part of how, so how his body's constructed. Yeah, that, yep. that's I, I just don't think he gets low enough and he can get low enough to be able to keep up with quicker guys on the perimeter. That's unfortunately probably just going to be a flaw of his as he goes up to the NBA, but when we talk about being a team defender, somebody who competes, who can step over, contest the shot, who can close out because he's six eight, he's he's long, he can obviously get up, he gets up off the ground better than some would have thought, as Maxwell pointed out, and then how he reads and plays passing lanes and and forces turnovers as well. These are all really positive indicators. On top of oh shit, he might actually be the best defender 
in, 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 I mean, the, the best shooter, excuse me, in the entire draft class. Like, the, this is a real case that we're making for a guy who's 6'8". Like, why isn't he in, in more top 10s than not? Where, where are you kind of at on his draft stock right now? So, I have him... Oh, I'm sorry. Was that? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. You're good. No, that was the Steven. That was, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And I was like, wait a minute. Is he asking? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yep. So, um, throwing this out there, the range from 11 to like 20 to 22, I think is like one of those like ranges that you could interchange guys. And I know what I'm about to say might sound like an insult to Grady Dick. On my last rendition, I had him 18, right? And that just goes to show, like, in my opinion, like how close that range is. I could see him going all the way up to 12, but I feel pretty confident in my like top 10 type top 11. But even still, like top 12 with all the skill sets that he has and possesses is still really good. Right. Like I his on the like his ball handling ability is has improved over the season, but I don't think that it's like a weapon. Right. And so. If you're going to be top 10, especially at his position, you really need to be trusting like the ball handling, playmaking off the bounce ability a little bit more than what I think that we're seeing from him. But the movement shooting, a real thing. You guys touched on, you know, the the passing. I think that the playmaking is really good considering who else is on this team, right? Well, like Harris, Wilson, McCuller, like guys that you knew coming into the season were going to be trusted to make plays a little bit more. The fact that Grady has the assist totals that he has already on the year, I think that speaks to the tr- trust that the team and, and Coach Self has in him. And he's got decent vision, too. Like, he he knows how to find the next guys over. I've also been really impressed with the rebounding, considering everybody else on this team. And I think that also points to the effort, that toughness that Maxwell was speaking to, along with the athleticism. Like, there's only been, what, two games on the season where he has had under three rebounds. And there's only been four games on the year that he's had so far without recording an assist. Oh, and by the way, he's got over one and a half steals per game too, right? So like that mixes it up on both ends, man. He he mixes it up on both ends, right? So if you got to do like Maxwell was just saying, you got to do with size, with the shooting, with he's not like a defensive stalwart, but if he is like the third, fourth, you know, best defender in a rotation. I think that you're still feeling pretty good about what he can do as far as like playing within a team's conf, uh, concept defensively. I just think that the the ball handling and, and playmaking off of the bounce is really the only thing that's keeping him to be like the, the highest I could see this dude is like 12th, but that's still great. That's a great spot for a guy like Grady Dick to be drafted from what I was expecting coming into the year. And there are things that, yeah, they stand to be improved, but we've also seen examples like Maxwell's talking about where those things have actually looked pretty decent, at least compared to where we yeah. thought they would be at this point of the year heading into the draft. My, my only thing that I question, and I wanted to put it out there to both of you guys to see if maybe you noticed anything in particular. Steven, you mentioned movement shooting. Off yeah. screens is surprisingly his worst area offensively per Nuts, synergy. Right? He's seven for 28 on shots off screen. So is there, is there anything you guys picked up that relates to that? Cause like when I look at some of those attempts, he, it, I don't really see anything mechanically that's making me point out like, Volume. Oh, that's why he's <laughs> failing on those. Is it, is it just a, a comfort thing? Like when he's run off a spot, he has to, when he has to relocate, come off a screen and then he's run off of that spot. Is it just a, a comfort thing to where he just doesn't want to 
rise up or he he's not able to just from like a mental standpoint rise up effectively and hit that next shot like what is there anything that stands out to you guys about why that could be because it seems really weird for a guy who has insane touch from from all over the floor and he's shown it in, in other play types yeah i would just say volume maxwell i don't know how you uh, yeah i think it. it's just kind of sample like i've i've never seen him take a shot off movement been like what was that or been like oh <laughs> yeah. like kind of an ugly <laughs> that mess was disgusting. Like, it just doesn't yeah. it just doesn't happen yeah so i my, think i did my see guess would just be one, 28 shots like in his last game but yeah like the, the sample size and even the ugly misses are few and far in between. It's just like, I trust him wholeheartedly. You you have guys like this, right? To where if he's pulling up for a jump shot, I don't think that he's the the type of guy that a coach is like, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. You made it, mm-hmm. whatever. Like you just kind of, you're fine with it because you trust not only his ability to make the shots, but like knowing when to take those shots, I think is just as important, if not more important. I agree. And he reads the game at such a high level. I think he can, he can fit into so many different areas for an NBA team. It makes you think about what NBA team can't use a Grady Dick, right? Like I think everyone would love to have a guy like him on their roster. And when you spin the conversation in that way, then it becomes, why isn't he going higher? Kind of like how we're, we're all posing the question. Why isn't he higher on draft boards? Why isn't he going higher in mock drafts? If every team can use a player like him, why would you take a chance on somebody who might not be as clean of an NBA fit as clean of a projection when Grady Dick is just sitting right there in front of you? Are, are you? are you scared about how the upside could turn out? Are you scared about if he doesn't reach this type of production level or mold into this type of guy who can fit this specific role as like a secondary creator? Like if he doesn't hit these benchmarks, is that why you're knocking him down your board? But if he's so excellent everywhere else and he's serviceable, defensively plus bringing all the other things Steven talked about like the rebounding etc why are we now looking at this guy higher on the board I think that's that's where I've sort of been over the last few weeks and that's why I've wanted to course correct and maybe make some adjustments on my personal draft board and it makes me feel a little bit silly that I, I took him 15 in our mock positive exercise to the Atlanta Hawks. It's like, how how did he last to 15? Why were we not taking You entertained him? him at 11, though, right, Nathan? You said that you were considering I, I him. I did entertain Oklahoma. him at 11. I entertained them over yeah. Gigi Jackson to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And and, and I get picking a guy like Gigi at and that We spot. talked you out of it. Yeah. You, you, you talked me out of it a little bit. But, no, I, I fully <laughs> understood when I made that pick why you would make it, right? Gigi has mm-hmm. as much upside as everybody outside of, what, Victor and Scoot in this draft probably, right? If everything breaks right for a guy like Gigi Jackson, he's a 6'9 big wing who can make every single shot in the book, right? And you can use him in a variety of ways, especially if he comes along as a role man, especially if he comes along as a short role playmaker. You get him used in all these other play types. I understand that appeal also possessing the the ball handling shot creation and defensive versatility of being able to guard on the wing. I get all that, but Grady Dick is a, a much safer projection. And, and maybe, maybe we fall into the trap myself included, obviously of using the word safe too it's often. It, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't use that word as much as we do, but it's just a lot easier for me to see where Grady Dick fits on an NBA roster, even in a starting lineup than making some of the bets we might make on a, a GG Jackson, or if you want to throw like Bryce Sensabaugh into that argument. I know I've been a big Bryce guy, but there are questions about him too and how he's going to fit and translate into a starting lineup. So there, there's just a, a myriad of different scenarios that, that we can pose when we talk about these mock draft exercises where these guys fall in, in, in certain draft spots. But nevertheless, Grady Dick 
is a, a fascinating conversation to have of, of why not? Why not Grady Dick? Speaking yeah. of why not certain players, that's that's where we're going next. So this is the part of the show where I get to shine less and Steven and Maxwell get to shine more because we're going to talk about what they're specifically writing for NoSillingsNBA.com this week. And we're going to start with Maxwell. We're going to keep our conversation in the Big 12 as we talk about it. Grady Dick had a game against Kentucky. There was certainly Jalen Wilson shine in that game. Casey Wallace was another prospect who shined in that game. But a little over in the Big 12, we we thought we were going to maybe have a, an interesting Mike Miles showcase. He unfortunately got hurt in that game. We didn't get to see the best of him yesterday. But nevertheless, when you look at his overall body of work, Maxwell wanted to dive in and write about Mike Miles. And he came away. Maxwell, you, you came away, I, I think, higher than you might have expected to with Mr. Way Miles. Way higher. Yeah. Right, so let's break it down. Yeah. So there was a couple of reasons I wanted to write about Mike Miles. It mostly just like watched a couple of his games recently and was like, oh, he's like noticeably better at a lot of stuff than he was last year. And I, I tend to write about guys I like. And then I feel like by the time I write about him, I'm kind of like, I'm a, I'm sick of them. Like, I just like don't want to watch their games. <laughs> like, I'm just kind of like, I, I've watched too much of you recently. I, I need a break. Um, but I tend to come out a little bit lower just because like when we are watching guys over and over again, it comes really easy to just get super nitpicky with them and yep. just like, oh, mm-hmm. this guy doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And this bothers me. Mike Miles is one of the rare guys that I felt like really great about after being done. And like, I'm not sick of his film at all either, which is a testament to how few bad habits he has. Um, But the biggest thing with Mike Miles is he is a ridiculous rim finisher. And that is a very weird signature skill for like a six at one guard to be like, I like them because of their rim pressure and their finishing, which like, that's, I mean, there are guys like that for sure. Um, but he's improved stupid. drastically in yeah. that conversation. That was the thing. Like he was, yeah. so he's on never been bad shots, there, which is part of why I, I like him. It's like, he's, this is not like, oh, all, this year, all of a sudden mm-hmm. these shots are falling. He's always been a good rim finisher, but, but he took, yeah. he took a 20% jump on two point shots overall from last year to, mm-hmm. to this year. Like that's not anything to sneeze at. Like why, why no. has he taken that? type of a jump max yeah so he took a ton of floaters last year and he was mm-hmm. very bad at them <laughs> and this year he is now going all the way to the rim which has two benefits the first is that obviously he's a very good finisher so just to give you how good of an idea he is at finishing i'm gonna give you guys a little spoiler alert for my article here oh boy so mike miles is uh, taking 56.5% of his shots in the half court at the rim. So he's taken most of his shots at the rim in the half court. He is making 75.3% of those shots. So Mike Miles is a better rim finisher than Oscar Shibwe, than Drew Timmy, and Zach Eady. It's six foot one. Yeah, as an undersized guard. It's so... <laughs> Yeah, so part of it is he's really good. The other thing is the floater has gotten better, but he's taking half as many of them. It was like 20% of his shot diet was floaters last year. He was awful at them. Um, So yeah, so part one is he's now going all the way to the rim, and he's very good at the rim. Part two of that is that Mike Miles is now getting to the free throw line a ton. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a good free throw shooter. Over the course of his career, it's around like 76% or something like that. Um, he is taking per 100 possessions, 12.4 free throws. 
which and is he's at seventy three percent at the line. I'll yeah. take that every so, day of the week. So it's super efficient. He gets there a lot, and it puts the other team in foul trouble. So like there's yep. there's just only benefits to what he's doing um as an attacker. So just based on that alone, like that is an exceedingly rare skill set for anybody to have. Um it makes him and you really haven't good. even got to like the point guard stuff yet. No, which is no, pretty, which is scary. Yeah, and like he's he's a pretty good passer. He, it's it's a little more basic than some of the other guys mm-hmm. um, that we'll talk about as like point guard prospects in this draft. Um, I think a lot of people get freaked out because he assists a turnover, so it's three point four yeah. to two point eight. But if you look at his his turnover to usage ratio. It's better than guys like Case and Wallace. It's better than guys like Anthony Black. Like when you watch yeah. the games, you don't feel like, oh, Mike Miles is a turnover machine. Like it's it's part of the role because the rim pressure teams really collapse on him. Uh, and then the other part of that is that TCU is a very bad shooting team. And I don't think mm. that that context has been brought up a lot because I, I decry it constantly. People like every prospect, you're like, oh, their spacing's not good. Their spacing isn't good enough. TCU is shooting 30% from three on the year mike miles is one of their best shooters and they are 329th in division one in three-point attempts so not only are they bad at them they don't take them and mike miles is taking more than most of their other guys so there just aren't people for him to spray the ball to when he's attacking and that eats into those assist numbers a little yeah and in other contexts the assist numbers probably look quite a bit better than they do here um the other big question with him is the shooting which is like kind of tricky so He's six one career five point four attempts per game thirty two point one percent from three obviously not ideal um, an optimist would point to the free throw shooting uh, as part of it that he is historically a pretty good free throw shooter the shot variety is really impressive he takes a lot a lot of them off the dribble a lot of deep yep. ones he is a number one option so because of that he has to take a lot of tough ones uh, and then the other part of that is that off the catch he's actually been very good this year very good um, he's hovering around thirty eight or thirty nine percent off the catch so um he's also a really stout defender um covers his position very well despite being a really high usage guy he does not fall asleep off the ball like there's not a lot of like oh he's zoned out oh he missed a rotation i love his off the ball game yeah yeah really knows how to play defense off the ball um and on it like he's not going to be the same level of hunting target that most of their smaller guards are just because of how strong and fast he is so Mighty, I'm, mighty. I'm really into Mike Miles. I, I think he's a second round guy. If the three point percentage were up, like if he was like a 37% three point shooter, I'd take him in the first. Um, I still just have a little bit of doubt about how legit that shot is. But the fact he's taking him from NBA range and really good off the catch, uh, which will be more of his NBA role, has me a little bit optimistic. I think I'm still there with you, Maxwell, about having a second round grade on him. Steven, uh, it, it's funny. We we were talking about this a bunch in our No Ceilings group chat. And my first note that I wrote down is a fascinating case of eye test versus numbers in the oh, 2023 dude, draft class. So yep. I want to read you guys specifically. Here's as far as his jump shooting is concerned, because that's the biggest question, right? You look at the percentages, you look at the numbers and you go, this guy, when you watch the tape, he he should be shooting better than what the numbers would indicate. And I took that yeah. as a little bit of a challenge. I wanted to figure out why is this the case? So before I let you unload your, all of your thoughts about Mike Miles, maybe you can comment on this. I want to read you guys exactly what I wrote down in my notes about the shot. So I said, at his core, the shot mechanics, lift, and balance are all there, right? 
questionable results on dribble jumpers for two reasons to my eye. The shot selection certainly won, as he'll settle at the top of the court over defenders with size that do a good job closing in and contesting. Miles also makes jumpers more difficult at times, which is, th- this is the bigger point to yeah. me. He leans back after he elevates, or he lunges himself forward, throwing off the arc and the angle of the shot. Both of those things generally aren't issues when he's set and can go straight up, or if he's going left, as if you're going left, it's much more natural as a righty shooter to kind of fade yep. back, but you still can get enough elevation on it. You're kind of still squared straight away to the basket. So it is something to keep an eye on as he keeps developing. As I've noticed the same things, ready for this one, with, with Cole Anthony. As he's oh, boy. In, okay. in the NBA. I, I noticed the same things as far as the jumper with Cole, right? Cole, when, when he, Cole has time to set himself up, get ready for like a catch-and-shoot shot or an easy open set shot, he can knock him down with anybody in the NBA. But Cole has a very pull-up shot-heavy diet when he's really got to go, when he's got the ball in his hands. And I see the same exact things with Cole Anthony as far as his balance, how he leans back on his shot, how it just throws off his arc, his angle. I see the same exact things with, with Mike Miles, which is why Mike has all the potential in the world to be one of these top bucket getters off an NBA bench at the guard spot. He is a much better point guard than give it a credit for as I'm sure you're going to get into a little bit, Steven. He, he can certainly hold his, hold his own on the defensive end. He just seems like a really safe bet as one of your first guards to have off the bench. And if that's the type of role he can play, if he can have a, a Cole Anthony type effect for an NBA team, aren't those guys usually getting redrafted in like the top 20 when you actually go back and do one of those exercises? So maybe that's a reason why he can break into the first round uh, of the 2023 draft. Where, where do you set on, on Mike miles? Yeah. So pre-injury, I had him ranked 44th and trending up, right? Like I had him yep. later in the second, um, got him in the mid second. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being in that like priority second, maybe even late first round range. Um, some some notes that I took on him. He's he's pretty twitchy, a uh, very strong, built well for his size. Um, I, I like his ball handling. A uh, great sensing of know um, when to use and reject screens. Uh, one thing that I think that is very under discussed um, when evaluating point guards. He's not contact adverse at all, and I think that speaks to what Maxwell was talking about earlier. Is that he's he's greatly increased his his percentages at the rim he's 99th percentile on runners and 96th percentile on layups like the dude is very good at contorting in the lane i'm really impressed with like the stuff that he can do away from the ball on offense too like cutting that was one of the things that i was kind of surprised to see how free flowing of an offense considering the lack of three point production that maxwell was talking about earlier that TCU will let him run off of multiple screens and like cut into the lane and they'll feed him the ball when he's flashing to the basket, which I thought was something pretty neat to see. Um, For all the shooting they don't have, right? TCU has one of the best coaches in the country and Jamie Dixon, who is a really great play designer. And he still gets guys in the right spots. Like you're talking about with miles, you know, running off screens, getting them going off movement. They find ways to get guys the ball in the right spots, despite not running your your very standard spread pick and roll type of offense. Exactly, and I think that you know being able to run down on some like for his position, the 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 ways that they get creative and getting him the ball in the in the middle of the lane or in the short corners, things like that, it's it's pretty neat to see a point guard of his size be able to do that so consistently against high level of competition in college basketball, mm-hmm. and. 
Nathan, like you were saying with the shooting, I'm not worried about it, man, because like there's not a lot of great shooters on TCU. Uh, he takes tough shots. Like if if we could segment like tough shots versus just the catch and shoot, like how we did earlier, in in an NBA context, he's not going to be asked to do so much on ball creation, right? Like he's probably going to play off of a bigger creator and he's going to space the floor and in those catch and shoot opportunities he looks great so i'm not i'm not necessarily worried about the shooting aspect of it which and and really if you look at everything else that he's great at he's also ranked in the 87th percentile on guarded jumpers despite some of those foibles that we were talking about so i if the shot comes around then maybe this is a prospect nathan i I love the way you phrase that that in a redraft probably goes significantly higher than where he might end up being taken where we're talking about collectively like that anywhere in the second round range like he might be a late first it's 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 something that i think we ignore sometimes as evaluators comment commenting on something like this in the public space where we want to build this perfect top 30 board of guys who we're projecting as starters in the nba like yeah. that that's the ultimate goal. we want to go star hunting first then we want to look at guys who are surefire starters but we ignore the fact that if you can find a guy who can come off your bench and give you legitimate, legitimate production, whether it be as a sixth man, whether you have a guard who can act as a spot starter, if he even has starters upside, which I think if everything breaks right for Mike Miles, I think he, he can have starter upside. But even if what he is is a spot starter or a really reliable option off your bench, there are Bonnie so Morris. many guys who are yeah. going to get taken in front of him who may not work out, who are more projects, who, who just end up falling out of rotations, falling out of the league. And you look back and you go, oh, crap, why didn't I have Mike Miles higher when, when I was actually looking to draft him versus where I was just trying to slot guys in a ranking on your board? I think, Maxwell, you wanted to make a final comment before we move Yeah, on. I, th- I just think it's a place where like, a lot of teams and people play themselves. Like, I think it happened with Andrew Nemhard last year. Like, Absolutely. Again, just different type of player, but up. so big. But, like, at a certain point, they're stopping NBA players on the board. And if you think a guy is an NBA player, you should probably just take him a lot of the time. Like, I know that's like a very unsexy, boring opinion to have when everyone wants to be like, well, in the second round, you should just like swing for a home run and whatever. And it's like sometimes, but a lot of the times, like if there's a guy that you like are certain is an NBA player, probably best just to, just to take them. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. Take, take those guys, build your depth, because when you have injuries pile up in the regular season, when guys go on cold streaks, you need to bring in a fresh body and maybe, you know, get their legs underneath them, get some different type of players in the lineup, get somebody who maybe you can find the hot hand. Mike Miles can be one of those guys for you. And if you give him that much of an opportunity, he can definitely excel at it. And maybe he proves to be more than that to you. And maybe he is a much more valuable contributor to your team than you initially thought of when you took him in like the 35 to 45 range. So absolutely go get a guy like Mike miles. I'm with you guys. 100%. Steven, Mm. this is your time to shine. My friend, I think you've been, you've been spinning the gears as far as wanting to write about Kansas state for a little bit. Now you've been on the train with, with our own Corey Tolliba with one of their sleeper prospects, but Keontae Johnson, before we get to Naquan Tomlin, who might be the more interesting story, Keontae Johnson has kind of found himself in, in the sleeper conversation. I'll, I'll preface anything that, that you or I or Maxwell might say with, we, we, we're not doctors. We don't have all the different medical information that could pop up with Keontae Johnson. So we're, we're talking strictly on the court game. But you look at what he has been able to do at Kansas State, Steve, and I think it's been one of the best stories in all of college basketball. And I think if you're judging off his play alone as your 
definitely writing about this week, he has legitimate NBA potential and he's sort of back on the radar as, oh, that's why this guy was really good at Florida and was a projected top 20 pick before everything yeah. happened with him uh, in, in his last game at Florida. Yeah, so both of these guys, Nathan, like they, they both have unconventional paths to making the NBA if they do. And that's one of, that was probably the most fun thing to, to go over and like re-educate myself on for Keontae Johnson. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I knew who Naquan Tomlin was coming into this year. Cause like only Kansas state did apparently, like if you look at the <laughs> recruitment process, it was really Kansas state was like, there's this dude just balling out in Juco that we could probably get. And no one else would even try to steal him from us or anything. So but yeah, Keontae, like his whole story is just phenomenal. Like it's it's a feel-good story, but he's more than just a feel-good story. He's doing great work over at Kansas State. Um, the the growth that he's showing, he's always been a reliable three-point shooter, right? Like if you even dating back to his time in Florida, um, the indicators that he was going to be able to space the floor has always been there, right? And the yep. offense is really what his draft stock is completely predicated on defensively. I think that there are ways that he can improve and get better and be a good team defender, but that's not really what you're drafting him for, right? So if you're looking for someone who could come in and be like that connective style player, uh, Keontae can do that. You know, he shoots really well. His finishing at the rim is also really strong as well. Um, he can do that via dunks, via lobs, via just, you know, smart KG counters and contortions in the lane. There's a lot of things offensively that this young man can he, do. He's, then, he's a legit two-level scorer, legitimate two-level scorer. And if you are kind of like a wing forward, depending on what the team is drafting and looking for you to do, those are really the only two spaces that we need you to operate in, right? Like Draymond said, there's two guys that can put up whatever shot that they want. Everybody else just needs to play a role. He can fit the role of inside or outside, right? Like perfect. Yep. He would have been a perfect Houston Rocket, you know, when James when James Harden was running that show um, for Houston, but. Again, just the finishing that he displays. Uh, he's got some intriguing playmaking stuff, and I highlight that on the article. And by the time everyone's listening to this, this article will you know, be on uh, noceilingsnba.com. It's free 99. Go and check it out. He, it, he's got some cool playmaking things to where I think that he can serve as a connector. Um, and a lot of his passes have been actually on the move, right? So kind of similar to how we were talking about with you know players earlier this season that if you trust him to where he can drive to the basket and make smart reads, then that next man over type of passing, I think is going to just kind of naturally be there and come for him. And again, you know, the thing that's going to scare teams, he's probably going to have one of the most highly anticipated and desirable, you know, medical evaluations out of anybody in this class. Right. Because, you know, like you said, you know, Nathan, I'm, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a doctor, you know, NBA teams are going to really care about that stuff. So I have hope though, to... because they even get to this point, he had to have multiple doctors clear him. He had to have the NBPA yeah. clear him. Like to, to get yeah. to this point, I think we can have confidence in that to where hopefully we can be at a point where it's just about evaluating his game and, and maybe what his yeah. outside is, what his role could be. But yeah, to your point, we, we, we don't know. We're not going to have those answers. Yeah. We're not trying to, Make it sound no like one has the answers. answers. Like <laughs> the reason, the reason that he collapsed on the floor is still a mystery to this day, right? Which could scare Horrifying. teams. Yeah, it it could scare teams. Like they don't know what caused it. So there is a real world that Keontae doesn't get drafted, and he is just probably going to be one of the most highly you know coveted undrafted free you know rookie free agents in his class, and then teams are going to be able to access his medicals and, and get their own people to evaluate him and give him clearance. But if we're just talking about on the court stuff, 
Um, I put this in my article. There is no reason why he can't be kind of like a anywhere from probably like 40 on in, in the second round, maybe even higher, just depending on how hot Kansas State gets. But that's really where my evaluation is on Keontae. Naquan Tomlin is very interesting. And Maxwell, I know that you love this man's story. Like, did not play basketball until he showed up at junior college and was like, hey, this looks fun. Can I try it? Because I'm freakishly huge and athletic. Um, I, I speak to this a lot in my article, and I even apologize for it. But the fact that he can do what he's doing and this be his fourth year of organized basketball is just absolutely scary. Like, he just – fourth year of organized basketball playing the level he's at you really could look at him in the same manner as like a one and done prospect to where it's just like, he's extremely malleable. You know, there's untapped potential. If you want him to be a, if you want him to be a perimeter oriented big man, there are foundation blocks in there to where you can I, do that. If I did not him, expect to find 13 pick and rolls. He's run right. Like as the ball, as handler, a ball not, handler, not the role, not the role yes. man, the ball handler. I did not expect to find that when I watched the film he can be a perimeter oriented big man. And you could understand like, based on what we're watching now, that that could be a real outcome. He could be a, a, a typical rim running big man and, and, and shot blocker. And you could understand it. There's, there's so much to unearth in his game that I'm, I tried my best to put in an evaluation for him where I would take him, but it's, you know, everyone's been saying this, it's only January as of today's date. Yeah. Um, There's really no ceiling, but right now, um, I think that kind of where Corey took him um, on his latest board. I won't share his board. I'll let him do that. But, you know, a second round pick, um, I think, is certainly understandable based on what all this guy could be. And again, his trajectory is like it's almost straight up like, you know, it's it's not trending up. It's like going straight up considering his level of experience and physically he's this is his first year, Maxwell. And I'll let I'll, I'll throw this to you. This is his first year with the type of facilities that he's had, right? So if there's yeah. people that are talking yeah, about his frame and all this stuff, yeah. like this is his first year where he's had like the the facilities and the resources and the programs at his disposal to really improve his physique as well as on court play. So like there's a lot of untapped potential frame wise, strength wise, coordination wise, all of those things to where yeah. you could really take him anywhere. And I would be like, I get it. Maxwell, the, the, the offense is really raw, but what, what I wrote down, I, I mm -hmm. had more words to write really about the defense because he is, he is a legit defensive prospect. And it's, it's pretty scary the types of things that he's already shown that he can do and just how he can continue to grow not only on that end, but then if he starts to add in more to his offensive game, right, he's, he's starting to get more comfortable with a face-up game. He's starting to take some jump shots. He's, at, he's, he's only taking like two threes per game, but he's at 24% for a guy who, again, we talk about the lack of experience, the lack of a defined role at a high major program for what he's been able to come along and do just at this point in his playing career. He's already a high-level role man. We know he runs the floor really well. He's incredibly mobile. He's fluid. But all of those raw offensive tools that can still be tapped into along with his legitimate defensive ceiling i i understand why he's now popped up in second round conversations maxwell i think i personally would be comfortable or more comfortable if he came back for another year and we saw more of the polish around the offense but if he was hell-bent on coming out and, and declaring for the draft this year maxwell is, is has he done enough to be like a second round flyer for you 
I think so. I think where I come down on him too is I I know that he's obviously raw, but I think his instincts aren't bad. Like I feel like his no, passing vision really and things good. like that are really interesting, and it makes me think that there is more in there rather than like because some guys and like it's a debate that. I've seen a lot of people have around Gigi Jackson, right? Where it's like, well, he doesn't have a ton of experience at this level. So is the passing going to get there or is this just what he is? And I think with Tomlin, the fact that he's showing these kind of instincts gives me more reason for optimism other than like, oh, well, he just started playing late. So it's going to get better. Like that's not really a guarantee, but the fact that I'm seeing those kind of flashes and that like, it seems like he just knows how to play the game has me pretty encouraged as well. So I think a second round grade is fair. I, I think given that and like, kind of being a little more optimistic about the jump shot. Like I, I kind of think he can play the four at the next level. Like, I don't think he needs to be a five at all. No. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of like leaning toward another year, especially just cause I think he would really shoot it in college if he stayed in school for can another it? year. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely still be interested if he came out now. Can I speak to the jump shot real quick? Nathan? Yeah, go for that. So the jump shot's kind of weird, right? And again, fourth season playing organized basketball. I think that like a professional shot doctor could speak to the things that I'm about to and, and fix them relatively quickly. His base is kind of weird. Like it's, it's like his upper body is facing the rim, but the lower body is kind of pointed to the left. It's kind of skewed left and it twists as the ball comes up. And then as he catches it, there's like a, a natural dip. He swings it left and then comes back up to the middle as he shoots it. But once that ball is at the top of the release, it looks pretty. Right. So I think the efficiency issues on the jump shot can be corrected by getting rid of a lot of moving parts. Right. Like creating a stable base and platform and keeping that repeatability on the upper release. I think that there's a lot of shooting potential there that is also waiting to be unplugged. So rim runner, ball handler, shot blocker with great instincts on the defensive end and and shooting potential. Like if he comes back next year, like I think that the stock is going to be even higher. So excuse me for using this term, but like this might be the pre-draft guy that a lot of people think that should come out. Like if you're, if you see him work out, you're like, Hey man, you come in, I'll get you with a second. And he bites mm-hmm. on that. Just like looking for the opportunity to play pro ball. Like he might be the pre-draft guy this year. I just want to see what his game looks like after he spent much more time in, in organized strength training yep. organized like all that because he his strength base definitely needs to come along you see that mm-hmm. not just in some of what steven was talking about with the jump shooting but the defensively in the posts you see it even offensively like he's a very poor finisher on offensive rebounds and putbacks um some of his post-up game like you you see all these different areas where he can definitely improve from a strength perspective and then once he has that base once he has that foundation in his legs and he has you know he, he's built out his back his shoulders and he can withstand more of that contact you'll see what that can do for his game. But yeah, there's, there's just so much potential to tap into with him or I just, I just want to see what it looks like a year from now, regardless of where that is, whether that's with an, an NBA team and their developmental system, whether that's another year at Kansas state, I just want to see what he looks like one year from now. And I think it's going to be a fascinating story to follow as for Keontae Johnson. The last piece I'll say on him is we know what the strengths are. We know what some of the weaknesses are as far as he doesn't have that mid-range game. He doesn't have the handle, the burst to be able to create separation and rise over the defense off the bounce to be able to hit those shots. I don't want him defending out on the perimeter like like heavy, heavy, like I'm going to have you switching on a guards and being caught in space. And, you know, I don't think he has the foot speed, the hip flexibility to be able to do all that type of stuff. But if you look at him as a role player, as Steven laid out, just – Line drive finishes at the rim, 
get after in transition, catch and shoot threes. If you get caught on the move, can you at least get the ball to where it needs to be? If you yep. just look at him as that type of player and then defensively against forwards, he can obviously hold – he is a big, strong dude. He can hold his own. If you get him caught in the post, he, he's not barbecue chicken. He can hold off a bigger guy in the post. I just love the, the, the role player type of projection for him to where if you're looking at him with a second-round pick, if you want to make that pick and you want to bring somebody in your organization – why not look the way of the six six guy? If you're Boston and you got like thirteen of the the picks in the second round, then just like then take take Keontae, like and yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a team with with multiple second rounders, absolutely. So, last but not least, to close out the podcast, wanted to just give a quick opportunity for us to shout out some prospect performances since we had another weekend chock full of them. I think Stephen, you you wanted to lead it off with with Baylor's Keontae George. Yeah, um, I want to give him a shout out because, you know, Corey and I, we, we kind of took a little victory lapse over the, the his latest game that he had against Arkansas. And like, this is how much I love Keontae George that I'm willing to take a victory lap in a game that Arkansas lost, right? Um, for those who don't know him from Arkansas. So 24 points, three assists, three boards, one steal, more importantly, six fouls drawn in this game, right? So like showing the full display, um, finished in traffic through contact. Um, hit Walsh with both a step back and pull up jump shot, like th- at different moments of the game. Um, switch hand finishing on display. He hung in the air, like I think the most that I ever seen him do in this game. Like he, he is kind of displaying more of that like well rounded scoring approach to where he, like Corey just released a video of him on his latest film shush on a uh, YouTube. So go and check that out. But the the myriad of ways that this man can just like score the ball is like starting to unearth. And that's after a slow start doing so this year where he was displaying more so the defense and the playmaking. Now you're kind of starting seeing all of it get pieced together, hitting floaters, um, a few good clean looks in this game, probably nothing to, to set the world on fire about, but he looked great in that game. And also just want to give uh, Brandon Pajemski a shout out for the the 38-point performance on 62% shooting versus Pacific. Just phenomenal. Maxwell, who you got for a prospect shout out? Yeah, I want to shout out my guy, Jalen hood Um Bonkers. He is looking so good since Love coming that. back from his back injury. Um, had a rougher start to the week. Had a, had a real clunker against Minnesota. Didn't do a ton against Michigan State. And then really just looked fantastic in the, the big game against Ohio State on Saturday. 24 points on 12 field goal attempts uh, with six for nine from three-point range, uh, which you love to see. But also two steals, one block. His defense looks like it's mm-hmm. really coming into form. And he's looking like he's getting it together athletically. That was one of his first, I believe, his first block of the season. Uh, and it was a real nice play where he was you know, blocking a shot from behind. Uh, Hood is just really kind of coming into form. I always sort of bought the shot. Um, but just from a movement and defense perspective, it looks like he's starting to really click at this stage. And he's again, kind of getting to that range to me where I could see him pushing lottery. When you have any sort of back soreness or back tightness, I, th- I think people underrate how much that limits your mobility and how much mm-hmm. that can limit your impact on the court. When you're when you're one of the guys who's being looked at to play 28, 30, 32, 34 minutes a night, and you have that much responsibility, having the ball in your hands, the primary playmaker for everybody else, pull-up jump shooter, it's amazing what happens when that part of your body heals up. 
the type of impact you can have on both ends of the floor. Jalen Huchifino looks like a top 20 player, boys. He, he mm-hmm. that's that's really yep. what he's trending upwards to be and i think we were there from the start we, we always have real been. i reeled back a little bit i'll say at least me i, I did back too, a little yeah. bit because of the back stuff i was a little concerned but now mm-hmm. that seems like that was just a blip on the radar versus a trend he's been really impressive my my prospect shout out i named a few uh case and wallace had a good game a really complete game for kentucky um, Jalen Wilson had a good game in that game. Julian Strother with, with a 40 Oof. burger yesterday for Gonzaga, reminding Oof. everybody why he's probably a top 40 prospect in the 2023 draft. Bryce Sensabaugh had a good game for Ohio State against Indiana, keeping up his scoring pace. Cam Whitmore had a great game for Villanova today, except for that, that last defensive play where he got caught in the spin cycle a little bit. That, that happens. The big performance for me... Tubelis had a great – Tubelis and Balo, the, the both of them, yes. one of the best duos that we have in college Tubelis basketball. Tubelis is awesome. Jairus so Walker for Houston, guys. Mm. We are now at four out of his last six games, 17 or more points. He is showing that offensive skills package that you saw on the tape, high school, the IMG tape. He had some really interesting offensive flashes. We're seeing more of that piece together for him now. 25.7 rebounds against Cincinnati, 10 of 14 from the field, two of four from three point range. Now, even though we would like to see the free throw numbers a little better, only 64% from the line on the year, still almost 37% from three point range on the season. So he is, he is really showing much more of a complete offensive package than we were seeing earlier in the year, starting to put it together on a more consistent basis. And Oh, by the way, the way he defends, at 6'8", with his size, his strength, his mobility, his coordination, he looks the part of a top 10 pick for sure. If you have mm-hmm. him higher than that, if you have him inside your top five or your top three, you're probably doing a few laps yourself after that game against Cincinnati. And really, this stretch, like I said, these last six games that he's put together. So shout out to Big you. Corey Tull of the week this week. Big, big, big week for, for Corey's agenda. That That's right, as yeah. he keeps tweeting out, but... That's going to do it for this episode of the Draft Deeper Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always, to every show, not just ours, on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Wherever you subscribe, get your podcast, make sure you're locked in, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, subscribe, rate, leave a review, all that fun stuff. Check out what we're doing every single week, Monday through Friday, at NoCeilingsNBA.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the Substack website. And then on social media, we're always tweeting out content from the main account, No Ceilings NBA. Go follow us over there. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can follow Maxwell at Bound Boards. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Steven G Hoops. Until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.